Our scripture today is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. There are no such things as bad questions. The only bad question is the one that doesn't get asked. How many of y'all have heard that? How, how many of us actually believe that? Yeah, you're, you're, you're sitting in a class or a group. It's the end of the day. Uh, maybe this last presentation is the only thing standing between you and uh, getting to go home or getting to go do that one thing that you've been planning to do, and, and it is just dragged on and on. And then the presenter gets to maybe their very last slide that, that has that divine word on it, you know, indicating they're so close to the end, questions. And you start looking around menacingly. Say, if anybody puts their hand up and keeps this thing going, I'm going to lose it. But there's always one. There's always that one. So this last week, I was at Fort McCoy, and I was halfway through um, this particular class that I was doing. And, and we were coming to the point that a lot of the uh, assignments that we had been assigned at the beginning of this particular school uh, were now becoming due. And, and so the next day, uh, we were going to be doing a presentation in front of the entire class, and we were going to be evaluated on our uh, presentation style and our ability to communicate uh, to a group of Army leaders. And, and so this particular assignment, they gave us uh, five different topics that we could teach on over the next class. And, and to say that, that I was uninspired is an understatement. There was nothing about the list of these five topics that, that I was really passionate about or that I really even cared about. But I was ready to, as they say, check the box. I was ready to get done. I was a couple days from going home. Um, and so I had worked on a presentation over a couple nights before that I was ready in the next morning to be able to get up and to teach uh, to this group of esteemed army leaders. Um, 
but I didn't feel great about it. And, uh, and so the instructor, right before we got dismissed from the day, uh, it had been hot, it had been long, it had been tedious, um, standing between me and my dinner. He said, is there any questions about tomorrow's presentations? And you guys remember, you have to look around menacingly to say, if there's any major in this room that puts their hand up and asks a bad question, I'm going to lose it. But there's always one. And so this major who, you know, of course, they sat in the front row of the class, right? That's where all the question askers sit. And they said, are we limited to the five topics that you gave us, or can we pick anything that we want? Now, for some of you that are teachers, uh, you might refer to the saying, uh, just check the syllabus, right? The answer's already there. I was so frustrated the question got asked. And you're like, of course we've got to pick these five topics until the instructor said, I don't care what you teach on. Do whatever you want. I'm evaluating you on your ability to teach it. I don't really care what it is you're talking about. And so all of a sudden this bad question turned into a really good question. And all of us, you could hear these groans, you could see, hear this exasperation from across the room as, as we all got really frustrated and we're like, well, we thought that we had to teach just on the five topics you gave us. And the instructor said with a laugh, nobody ever asked the question. <laughs> and so that night, I got to throw away my uninspired presentation and thought to myself, what is it a chaplain can say to a room full of future brigade commanders in the United States Army that is going to help them take care of soldiers? And was able to get up and give probably one of my best and favorite presentations that I've ever given in my 13 years in the Army. All because a bad question <laughs> turned out to be a really good question. Questions can be a really tricky thing. Uh, how many of us have had projects that we're passionate about or uh, things that we're inspired about that seem to get bogged down by a lot of questions? Questions have a way of derailing progress. They have a way of stalling things that we're trying to move forward. But at the same time, what makes them so tricky is they have a way of revealing uh, oversights. They have a way of, of digging into misunderstandings. They have a way of pointing out in a group of people that not all of us are on the same page right now. Now, when we talk about questions in faith, they get even a little bit more tricky. Questions in faith, one of the things that, that I kind of grew up with that, that I had to have a lot of time to work through was that questions were not always invited in church. Questions, uh, scarily enough, sound a little bit like doubt sometimes. And even worse, sometimes questions can sound like unbelief. But what questions really are when it comes to faith is their vulnerabilities. 
and their insecurities and their fears. And they're those deepest, darkest parts of who we are and who God's created us to be that, that brings questions up to God to say, is this really real? Are you really who you say that you are? Do you notice me? Do you care about me? And those questions, as, as difficult as they can be, as we get swirled up in the storms and the chaos and the tragedies of life, those questions that bubble to the surface that we're most scared of sometimes can be the most faithful things that we ask God. And we don't always get a specific answer to all of those questions, but the faithfulness is that we're willing to bring our questions to the one who is the answer. And when we bring our questions into the life of God, it allows all of those insecurities and those fears and those deepest, darkest corners of our lives and our souls, and it allows the life and the presence of God to find those deepest, darkest places. And we encounter life. We encounter presence. We encounter creation. We encounter the very life, the kingdom, the spirit of God. Over the next four weeks, we're preaching a back-to-school series called Good Questions. And we're looking at questions that followers of Jesus, skeptics of Jesus, outcasts in the community, questions that they brought to Jesus about, do you care about us? How do we get to heaven? What's the most important thing in this life? And are you who you really say that you are? And sometimes those individuals didn't receive specific answers to their questions. But in just asking them and encountering the very life of God, their lives were changed just in asking them. And following those questions and the stories that unwind after them, we find that the Spirit of God was unleashed in those situations in a way that was bigger than any of the questions that they ever brought in the first place. And so today, in our scripture, we find a really good question. See, Jesus is kicking off his public ministry here in the Gospel of Mark, and he's going all around the Sea of Galilee, kind of around the shore to the different towns and the villages, and Jesus is teaching all about the kingdom of God. If you look forward here in the, the chapters before where we read, uh, Jesus is teaching in parables. Uh, so teaching a lot about seeds and good soil and ground and agriculture and plants and mustard seeds. And he's teaching all about these images of what the kingdom of God looks like. And the crowds keep uh, getting bigger and bigger. And in fact, they start, they start following Jesus around the shore to the point that now the, the crowds are getting so big that Jesus is almost backing up, up against the Sea of Galilee to the point that Jesus says, let's find a boat row just a bit off ashore so I can get a wider angle to preach to the masses, to teach the crowds that are coming to learn about the kingdom of God. And y'all, I think Jesus, his humanity is starting to get a little tired. The crowds, they keep pressing in. The pressure seems to get more and more. And, and Jesus, as he moves from town to town, uh, it's almost as if the expectations just keep getting a little bit higher and higher. 
And so when it's time to move to the next town, just on the other side of the lake, Jesus says, let's, let's take the boat and let's push off for the night and make our way across to the other shore. And as he kind of settles in for the trip across the, the lake, he finds a comfortable spot in the stern of the boat on some cushions and falls asleep. But the disciples didn't get much sleep. In fact, a, a storm began to brew up, uh, got to kick up, and all of a sudden what seemed like it was going to be a peaceful, restful journey across the lake turned into a storm that seemed like it was going to tear the world apart. We've, we've heard some thunder like that over the last couple days, haven't we? We've seen some wind that, that has torn some communities apart over the last couple days, but but this particular storm, it's, it's so strong that what we're going to read about here in a minute, when Jesus rebukes the storm, he uses the same language that he uses to cast out demons, to perform exorcisms. That this is a storm that feels like it is ripping the world and creation apart. And the disciples, in all of their panic and all of their fear, they go to wake up the teacher. Now, there's some good questions that the disciples could have asked in that moment. Jesus, will you pray for us? Jesus, what are we supposed to do? Jesus, is it time to try to think of how we're going to survive this? But instead, much like us, the question that they come up with and that moment of rousing the teacher was, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not notice that here in our last moments of life, you are sleeping through them? Do you even care is what these questions seem to be getting at. And that's not a bad question. In fact, that is a good question because that gets at the very fear that we get into that stirs up in our lives when all of a sudden tragedies and chaos and the storms of life, they start to blow up around our lives as well. And those moments that we're sailing across those lakes, that we're on cruise control, and we feel like we know what's coming next, we're anticipating it, and we get a bit of a breather and some downtime, and all of a sudden it feels like our world is ripped apart. Isn't that the question that comes to us as well? God, do you notice me? Do you realize that I am drowning here? And do you even care? And so they wake up the teacher. Now, how many of us like to get woken up? <laughs> as Jesus gets up out of the stern of the boat, isn't it interesting that he doesn't even answer the question? Instead of giving an argument, instead of saying, yes, of course I care, and instead of saying, guys, this is all going to be okay, Instead, Jesus faces into the storm and screams, peace, 
be still. And in the moment that they thought was the moment of their own death, becomes deathly calm. And this man that they saw as teacher, now all of a sudden gets revealed as savior. In a moment that is bigger than every question they have ever had about who he is. Because now everything that they've known about this man and everything that they believed has just got drowned out by the storm that he has stilled. This Jesus is more than we ever thought he was. And isn't it so true? The moments that rip our lives apart. We don't ever get a good explanation of why bad things are happening or why tragedy occurs. But what we do get is the undeniable truth that somehow in the midst, in the eye of a storm and of chaos and of everything that seems to be going wrong, when we cry out to God, we find that God is already standing in the midst of the storm with us. And that is not only the lesson of the story, that is the beginning of the story. This particular scripture it calls back to even those very first words and images of the book that in the beginning, when the earth was formless and void and the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep, the churning, the swirling, the chaotic, the stormy waters of a creation that had no form, that was void, that was directionless, that was defined more by its chaos than anything. Over the face of that storm and that chaos, God spoke the first words of creation and the first image of light and life and peace and order and began the first steps of a life with us. The storms of life, they threaten to tear us apart. Everything we know about the world suddenly gets called into question, and we ask if God even notices us and if God even cares. But even from the first words of Genesis to here in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 4, the moral of the story is, is that we are born out of storms and waves out of winds and chaos. And God breathes a life into those moments that we think are going to destroy us that instead launches us into a way of life and of hope. That we find out that the God that we were questioning turns out to be an answer that is bigger than the storms and is somewhat more awesome and amazing, deeper and wider than anything that we have ever faced in this life. And there is no word of assurance that we need more deeply than to just simply know that God is with us in the midst of that storm. And God will always be with us, even as we continue to the other side of the lake. The storm didn't stop their purpose. The storm didn't stop the lessons. The storm didn't stop the plan that they had. Instead, everything that they knew of one who was teaching about the kingdom of God, they got to see in that moment that he was the kingdom of God and that he would live with them and abide with them, that God himself 
would still and calm the way. What's interesting is when I read this scripture early this week, I wrote down in my notes, peace be still. Who is Jesus talking to, the storm or the disciples? When the Gospel of Mark was written, it was written in about uh, the year 70 of the Common Era. And what was going on in the world at that time was the temple in Jerusalem had just been destroyed. It had been leveled, burned out. Everything that was sacred and holy had been taken away and sold and given away and stolen. And what was so different about this moment is they lost not only their temple and their building, but they lost their identity. Because the Jewish faith, the temple was where God lived. The sanctum sectorum, the, the holy of holies, the, the tabernacle, literally the room and the box and the place where the life of God dwelled. It was the center not only of their, their, their nation, but it is the center of the created universe. And now it's no longer there. And so when Mark is talking about the storms that pop up in their lives, this is a storm that was going on in the lives of those that were hearing this for the very first time. Their entire lives as a nation, as individuals, their faith of, of who they believe God to be and where they believe God to be was, was all of a sudden just thrown into chaos and storm. Not only who is God, but who are we and what is any of this about? What does this mean? Does God even notice us? Was God even there? And for God to be in the midst of the boat, to say, peace be still, for what was going on in that Sea of Galilee that was what was going on almost 70 years later in the Roman Empire in Jerusalem and what's going on in our lives today. The identity crisis and the tragedies and the storms and the chaos that, that, that seems to want to rip our lives apart. We hear that God doesn't live in buildings and boxes. God doesn't stay on boats in lakes on the other side of the world. God lives with us, and God notices us, and God cares about us, and God loves us more than we can ever possibly imagine. And so what first may sound like doubt or even unbelief, when we bring into the very life of God, we find salvation, we find presence, we find the very life that defines who we are and shows the very kingdom of God to the world. Amen and amen. Will you pray with me today? Almighty and gracious God, we give you thanks. Lord, we give you thanks that not only were you in that boat during that storm on the Sea of Galilee, Lord, but you were famously present even in those first moments of creation where not only you spoke words of peace and stillness and calm and creation over the face of the deep and the chaos, but the first moment that you had an idea about us. Lord, we are born out of wind and waves, out of storms and chaos. 
And Lord, you saw value, you saw hope, you saw presence, you saw a future to where you wanted to be with us. Not just when life was going great, but in every moment of life, that you would always be with us from this day to all days. For all eternity, that we might live with you. And so for all of our questions, God, we give you thanks that you are our answer. Amen and amen.